I'm very excited to be in front of you today. I hope that you'll enjoy the study as much as I've enjoyed uh, studying it and learning and preparing it. Uh, we're going to be in First Peter chapter 2, so if you want to be uh, turning in your Bibles there, if you don't already have them there for the Scripture reading. I'd like for us to be thinking about this morning what it means to be God's people. Um, we see in this text that we just read a description of God's people. Peter describing for us what God's people look like. But what would we what would we describe God's people as if we were to just think about the church? What is the church? Uh, and, and God's people we may think about as the Old Testament, but really it includes us as well. We are God's people. So how do we view that? In the Old Testament, we think about the nation of Israel as being a, a, a nation, a group of people that is all descended from Abraham that is, is on the earth and is serving God and worshiping God in all these different ways. But there was something wrong, and we've been studying that in our Bible classes. There's something that's just wrong with Israel in the Old Testament, and, and the problem is judged by the captivity that we've been studying about in Bible class, because God always intends Israel to be something different than what they became. And here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we have a description of what God intended it to be and what God wants us to be. I'd like to read verse 9 and 10 again. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession." that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I love this text. This is a really beautiful description for us of God's people. It, It talks about God's people being this chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. All these descriptive words are being used here that, that shows how God has, has desired for this group of people to exist. And, and those of us who are in Christ are a part of that. So he gives us a description. He helps us to understand who we are and helps us to have a vision of what God's people are actually supposed to be. So if we're starting to wonder, you know, what role do I play? What part do I play in uh, God's kingdom or in God's church? What? Who am I? And why am I even here? Uh, why, why am I a part of this church? We see some very vivid descriptions given to us. He says, we're set apart from all others. That's what the word holy means. We're this holy nation that's different, that's chosen, and that is supposed to fulfill God's purpose as a priesthood, going out and serving the nations around us. This is the same purpose that God had for His people. In in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 6, He calls them His treasure possession, and then He says that you are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is what God always envisioned His people to be. Is this the way we view God's people? Well, It's hard for us to imagine it like this, isn't it? I mean, whenever we think of church, how many of us just think of church buildings? You know, I mean, and thinking about people who we get together with on Sunday and then we don't really see them throughout the week. Is that really what God's people are supposed to be? Is it supposed to be something like that or is it supposed to be something else? Well, we see this as a whole nation of people. 
and and we're scattered throughout the nations, but we are one nation together. You see the unity of the group as being God's people under God's rule and submitting to God's rule and and working for His cause. But there's more of a description given here than being chosen royal priests uh, who are holy. He also says something else. He says that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. This morning I'd like for us to think about these phrases. That we have been called out of darkness and into His marvelous light. What do these phrases mean? And... and it has to be true in us that we are called out of darkness and that we are in God's light. Are we? Uh, we, we want to know that. We want to think about that. And we, we need to think about ourselves this way. If we're God's people, this is who we are. We're called out of darkness and we're called into His marvelous light. It's interesting how the, uh, the text written, read for the Lord's Supper is along the same lines here. But let's think about what these things mean. First of all, what does it mean to be called out of darkness? Well, what, does it, what does it mean to be in the dark? I mean, if we shut the lights off, is, that, <laughs> is this before electricity? Is that what he's... No, that's not what he's talking about. There's something else that he's, he's talking about. And it's actually described for us back in chapter 2, verse 8. But let's, before we go there, let's consider this idea. What does it mean to live in darkness? The proverb writer put it this way. He said, The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. When we think about darkness, we think about sin and we think about wickedness. But the idea and the picture that's being given to us of it being dark is that we are not fully able to understand what is around us and we are falling over and over again. We're sinning. We're, we're falling. We're messing up. We're tripping over the truth of what we should be doing and we're doing the things we ought not to be doing over and over again. And this is the idea of being in darkness. We can't understand or... Uh, quite grasp what the truth is well enough to keep from sinning in our lives. And this is the way darkness is pictured. It's, it's that we don't see the truth or we're ignoring the truth and we're continuing to pursue what is wicked and what is evil in our lives. This is the way darkness is pictured for us. Well, is it easy for us to come out of the darkness? Is that... No big deal. <laughs> we're called out of this darkness. So we're, we're saved and then all of a sudden we see everything that we're doing that's wrong and we fully understand and it's fully revealed to us everything that we ought to do uh, in order to keep from ever sinning again. Is this an easy idea? Or is it hard for us to come out of darkness? To be called out of this darkness? I'd like to submit to you that there's a draw for us to stay in the dark. There's a pull for us to stay in the dark or to go back to the dark. 
go back to the lifestyle of ignoring the truth. They're not seeing the truth. They're not trying to find the truth and continuing to stumble and continuing to fall in our lives. There's a desire in us to go back to that and to enjoy those things that are really wrong and that really hurt us. Whenever we look at the Word of God, we see that it cuts us. It hurts us. The truth being revealed cuts us deeper than, than anything. And it, it, it makes us question ourselves. It makes us think differently about ourselves. And, and it makes us wish that darkness was okay. That it's okay to do the evil things that I'm doing. It's okay. I shouldn't feel ashamed or feel like a failure. I shouldn't have to change. But God wanted the people who were called out of darkness. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 3, verse 19 through 21. It said, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people have loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, And does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. We see that it's easy for us to sin and to continue in sin and to continue stumbling and staying in the dark and not knowing it, but but being completely lost in our lives and not being called out of the darkness like we ought to. But Peter says, we're not that kind of person. We're not those kinds of people. We're God's people. We're a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for His own possession. And in chapter 2, verse 8, right before he, he calls all that out, he says in chapter 2 that, that God placed a stone in Zion. And notice how he, he talks about that stone in verse 8. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Who is that stone? Jesus. God placed Jesus in Jerusalem, the light of the world. And they stumbled because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. God's enemies live in the darkness. God's enemies ignore the truth. And when we, when we look at the life of Jesus, we see God's enemies shutting their eyes, rejecting the truth and murdering the Son of God who comes into the world. You see, the idea of being in the dark is the idea not just that we we are unable to see the things that are true around us, but also the idea that we're unwilling to see the things that are true around us. And when we do that, we may think that we're going to be okay, but look at how far they, they went. In the New Testament, they went to the point of murdering the Son of God and thinking they were righteous and good in doing it. We're not those people. You want to understand who God's people are? That's not us. We're called out of darkness to understand and embrace the truth, even though it hurts. That's who we are. 
And the, the, the contrast to this is also there in verse 9 that we're called out of darkness and into His marvelous light. What does that mean? What does it mean to live in God's light? Well, this, this makes a lot of sense now that we understand the, the idea of darkness better. Especially with what Jesus said. He said that whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Coming to the light and being in God's light means living with a, in a way that lets our hearts be open and exposed and cut by the Word of God. Living in God's light means I fail. I'm awful. I'm a bad person. I, I make mistakes. I'm, I'm, I'm not meeting up to the standard of Christ. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's a continual failure in our lives. But I recognize that and I'm willing to admit that. But don't we struggle with this? <laughs> oh man, this is hard, isn't it? Admitting our failures is hard. But notice what, what God says, what Peter says in verse 10. He says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you were not righteous, but now you are righteous. Once you were not good enough, but now you are good. No, that's not what he says. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What makes us able to step into this light? The knowledge of the mercy of God. We're able to open up and admit our failings because we realize we have a God who loves us enough to forgive us of those things. He knows how we're made. He knows who we are. He knows what's in the darkness of our lives. He knows the sins that we've committed. And He's provided a way for us to receive mercy. And God's people are willing to accept that mercy, that grace. Being God's chosen race is not a matter of skin color. It's not a matter of location or of descendants. It's a matter of living in the light and receiving the grace that God offers to help us with every failure that we make in this life. Wouldn't it be great if, you know, we didn't have any failures? I mean, I just think about that. Uh, you know, if I had come out of the waters of baptism and all of a sudden I didn't ever sin again, you know, how great would that be? Uh, wouldn't it be great if He just took us right up to glory and we didn't have to mess with any of this darkness ever again? Uh, that's the picture that we want to believe. But that's not really the way it works. Uh, he lets us live surrounded by darkness, but still living in the light, understanding His mercy as we go. And the, and the more we understand His mercy, the more we understand who God is, the more that we grow and, and the better we become. And this is what he says in verse 9 as well. Notice how he puts this. He says, uh, You are called all these uh, people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. The idea of light is given 
in multiple senses in the scriptures. The idea of light is that it exposes the sins and the, the evil that you've done, but also that that we are lights, that we are lights to the nations around us, that we are this priesthood that goes out and that serves, that we proclaim the excellencies of God. Well, think about that for a minute. What does that really mean, to proclaim the excellencies of God? When we enter into the light and we admit all the wrongs that we have committed and we we start the process of changing, we become a light for other people. Now, this is hard for us to grasp, I think. If we really think about this, this is kind of a hard idea. So we're supposed to be a light to the world and show everybody what God is like. But at the same time, we admit that we're not perfect and that we have all these problems. How can we do that? How can we proclaim how excellent God is while at the same time admitting we have all of these problems? Look what he says in verses 11 and 12. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So we might ask, how do we proclaim the excellencies of God? And Peter says, well, yeah, you're making mistakes. You're living in the light. You're you're exposing all of that. But... I'm urging you to stop it. Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? No. No. I'm urging you to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Well, what is that? What does passions of the flesh mean? Well, passions of the flesh are not just sexual sins. That may be what we ascribe to them. But passions of the flesh are more than that. So as sojourners and exiles, we're supposed to put off more than just sexual immorality and adultery and things of that nature. We're supposed to put off more. We're supposed to put off all worldly desires, which some translations word it. Notice chapter 2, verse 1. He says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Here's some passions of the flesh. It's, it's, it's interesting. This parallels well to Galatians 5 and the works of the flesh that are mentioned there. It's not just sexual sins or anything like that, but it's, it's malice. It's deceit. It's hypocrisy. It's slander. It's, it's internal problems. It's internal evils that are in us. Well, Are those things still in us? Are we striving against those things? Are we abstaining from those things? That's what Peter is urging us to do. Can you imagine? Just think about it for a second. Imagine living a life without any deceit at all. Like, yeah, I don't lie, but... Deceiving is something a little bit different. It's, a, it's another level of, of lie, right? Well, I didn't say a lie, but, you know, I didn't necessarily lead them to the truth. You, you see how these are things, envy, slander, these are things that internal to us, malice. 
a, a heart that is that is desiring something that is wrong. That's the passions of the of the flesh. That's the worldly desires that he's calling for us to put away. And and these things, all of these problems are exposed by the word of God. And we, we read about these things and we understand where we're failing in these things. Do we have a hungry pursuit to change these things? That's what Peter wants us to do. Uh, as God's people, we admit that we have problems and we abstain from the passions of our flesh. But also, he says, as God's people, we do what is honorable. Do you see that in verse 12? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Not only are we called to to abstain from the passions of our flesh, but also we're called to do what is honorable, to do good to others. So these are the two areas of life that the Christian or the, the person who is a member of God's kingdom, the people of God, are supposed to focus on. We're abstaining from all the sinful desires in our heart and we're seeking after what is honorable in this life. Notice how he puts that. He says, keep your conduct honorable when they speak against you as evildoers. It's not just do good. (laughs) That that might be easy. You know, we get complacent and sometimes we don't even do that. But he's saying... Do good even when it's hard. And he, he, he makes it, he states it in such a way that this is a foregone conclusion. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, it's understood that the world who is living in darkness all around us, they don't like the truth. They don't like the light. <laughs> Jesus pointed that out. They hate the light. They like to call evil good and they like to call good evil. So as we attempt to abstain from the passions of our flesh and we attempt to live a life that is holy for God, there is an understanding that there will be mistreatment in this life. That our light shining will not have a nice reception. But He tells us how to to deal with that. If, If we give in to the worldly desires, the passions of our flesh... If whenever we're mistreated, I mean, imagine somebody doing this to you. Imagine somebody hearing you confess your faith in God or or proclaiming some truth in God's Word and then them attacking you to the point of throwing you in prison or or taking, robbing you of things by mistreating you and calling the authorities against you. Wouldn't there be a desire in us to punch them in the face or to, to take something away from them or at least scold them or rebuke them or, or yell at or do something? And Peter says if we do that, we're not proclaiming the excellencies of God. If we want to proclaim the excellencies of God, if we want to let our light shine to those around us, We have to abstain from those things and do what is honorable in the face of injustice against us. Acting honorably gives God glory. And it does more than that. Read verses, let's read verses uh, 15 through, or 
13 through 20. He says, But be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten, you endure it? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Not only are we just proclaiming the excellencies of God, but notice what else it's doing. He points out, by, by giving good conduct to those around us, we might turn them to glorify God. And he says, we might silence their ignorance. You really want to get at them whenever they mistreat you for doing what's good? Don't give in to the worldly passions and desires that are inside of you. You feel that angry outburst boiling up when someone does something evil against you. You really want to get them to to stop being this way. You really want to make an effect on their heart. You really want to put a stone in their shoe that they might walk around with and that might get to them and get under them. Do what's good. Do what's honorable. And this is what will help them to see the light of God and the glory of God. But he also says in this text that there will be a credit added to us. (laughs) This is a gracious thing. It's a beautiful idea that, that God sees this as a gift that we are giving Him when we do this. Well, we know all this. We now know what it means to be a light in the world. To be called out of darkness, to be called into light, to proclaim the excellencies of God by living a life of abstaining from sin, by living a life that is honoring those around us even when they don't deserve it. But knowing that we must do it doesn't make it any easier, does it? Uh, how in the world are we going to do this? How are we going to live this way? Well, that's what he helps us out with in the last section that we're going to look at quickly this morning. Verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, 
but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. How can we become this marvelous light? Peter tells us, because Christ has already done it to show us how. Christ came on this earth and committed no sin. He did not deceive. He did not revile. Whenever He was mistreated, He didn't turn around and threaten them. But He entrusted Himself to God in the midst of great suffering. And He carried the sins of those who mistreated Him, the sins of His enemies to the cross to put them to death. Because He wanted us to be healed. This is what Jesus has done for us. You want to know how in the world could I ever stop all this sin and abstain and, and become a light to the nations by doing what's good even when they mistreat me? Well, Jesus has done all this to bring you and I into the light. To make us into God's People. We must choose to follow in His footsteps. If we, abst- if we struggle to abstain from sin and to do what's honorable when suffering, we need to remember how Jesus has silenced our foolishness. Not by threatening us and acting harshly toward us, but by being gentle and loving toward us. He entrusted His life to God and God was faithful to Him. And He'll be faithful to us as well. And as Jesus carried our sins to His cross, we need to think about it as though we are carrying the sins of those who are evil against us on our cross. And we put those things to death for them like He has for us. This is the way we need to think about our lives here on this earth. This is the way God's people view themselves. That we are pointing everyone around us who's in darkness to the marvelous light that we have found and that we desire for them to see the grace and the love of God. And we're willing to live as Christ lived to bring them to that point. Our God is exceedingly merciful and gracious toward us. He loves us. He desires for us to be His treasured possession, His holy priesthood, His holy nation, His royal priesthood, His chosen race. And we can be that if we desire to be. We can make that life change and receive all the blessings that He offers. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to submit to the Savior And to give our lives for Him. As the song we're about to sing says, all things are ready. If you know what you need to do, please do that now. Please come as we stand.